Hello, I'm David Dunning, and this episode of the LNER Fast Track podcast is all about the future. Innovative ideas that help the people who manage the railway and those who travel on it. Here's a taste of a special Future Labs Demonstration Day event at York St John University, which was held at the end of July. Future Labs event today is all about hearing from the startup companies that we've had looking at situations that we face and challenges that we face in the rail industry and seeing if the ideas and concepts that these companies have are actually going to be ones that are going to help us to provide a better train service in the future. What it's doing is analysing fatigue by analysing voice. It's looking for small nuances in the changes in vocal tone and vocal structure of the voice. Hello, I'm Francis Walker. I'm the Head of Digital Experience Strategy here at LNER. Today is Future Labs 4.0 Demo Day. So that is the fourth year of a really successful Future Labs programme. We've worked with six particular uh, cohorts who have come to us with ideas about how they can meet certain challenges of ours. And today gives them an opportunity to showcase the learnings that they've had along that programme. People in the audience who have come from far and wide within the industry and outside and really just make us to understand what it is that their solution can do to help our challenges. It's going to be very interesting, isn't it, seeing all the different ideas. The innovation is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it ranges from things that you, you could almost be um, kicking yourself about that you hadn't thought of already. But actually, if it were that easy, it would have been done already. And some of these things are, are based on years of expertise, years of trial and error, and bringing an idea to the forefront of, of meeting a challenge that's relevant today, but also for the future. Right. Well, let's go and uh, hear a little bit more from each of the six who've come along to talk to staff today. And thank you very much for talking to us. Hi there, my- my name is Ian Thomas, uh, Managing Director of Fatigue Management International. A way of managing a very common risk to anyone who works in a safety critical environment. It's just the very nature of life itself. It's when people become so tired that they become a risk to themselves and to their colleagues and to the task that they're trying to complete. Primarily due to a lack of sleep. Most people who don't get enough sleep, maybe the night before, before they do a safety critical goal, they'll put themselves at a certain level of risk of fatigue. And that's complicated, isn't it? Because different people operate on different amounts of sleep. Yes. Or am I wrong in assuming um, Yeah. So yes and no, in a yeah. sense that um, most people need about seven to eight hours of sleep to function at a reasonable level of performance the next day. The issue and problem is that most people don't get that. So we all put ourselves at risk and the body has two peaks of tiredness, which obviously the early hours of the morning when we're naturally supposed to be asleep. But there's this post-lunch dip, this thing in the middle of the afternoon, whereby if you haven't had enough sleep, by the time you get post-lunch, then the fatigue really starts to build up on you. And if you're doing a task that is quite repetitious or quite monotonous, the brain doesn't function particularly well doing those types of things. And so if you're expected to be alert and vigilant, then there's a very good chance that that will not be the case. So how does your technology highlight this, I suppose, is the word? This technology is developed for initially astronauts to manage and monitor fatigue in astronauts on long-range space missions, essentially when we first get the first blokes over to Mars. And what it's doing is analysing fatigue by analysing voice. 
It's looking for small nuances in the changes in vocal tone and vocal structure of the voice. It's inaudible to the normal hearing range, but to the artificial intelligence, it's not. I'm Ian Barber from FMI, and I'm going to run through our sleep assessments today. We've got um, our iVoice um, technology, which can identify signs of fatigue in your voice. You need to train it over a period of about 10 recordings or so, about 20 seconds of the same text. And we normally do that over a few days. And then once that's in place, we can then start to detect fatigue just by you reading five or 10 seconds of audio. It can then start to spot whether there's any fatigue detected in that recording. So the idea is you set everybody up on this then and then it can be very quick and instant. Yes, everyone will need a little bit of training to their own voice because it, it, everyone's voice is slightly different and everyone the system needs to be rec- trained to recognise that. And how quick is it once everything is set up? It should take 30, 40 seconds to run through on a, on a simple assessment. Do you do it down the phone? or you can do, We have a mobile app to do yeah. it, so we can put it on people's mobile app at the moment and they can just run the assessment through on their app in the morning before they start work or at the end of the day when they're finished. And, and what comes back then? Does it say categorically you should not do your job? It's not like an alcohol or drugs test, which is a definite, we can detect you are tired or you're not, yeah. but it's, it's more of a, a risk indicator. So we have a very simple traffic light system which will give you a, a green if you're feel, there's no sign of fatigue or an amber or a red warning if it's detecting signs of fatigue in your voice. Lovely, thank you very much. So I'm uh, Barrett's lad from uh, Shedit. We are in effect making uh, buildings easier to manage and simplifying property management for LNER. It can take up to 40 weeks to get a uh, aspect of a building repaired such as an elevator or a air dryer or maybe a broken lock and that issue is coming about because Uh, The information is not easily accessible and it's sometimes difficult to understand how to report problems. So our platform allows uh, LNER staff to bring that information into one place and it's easily accessible, in effect like a digital duplicate for a building. Um, And then they they can look at triaging that data they've got in terms of the door lock, say potentially then uh, send somebody out to repair that. Because what you were finding, I think, yeah. when you first had a look at the situation, yeah. all sorts of different ways of dealing with yes. the, you know, with problems, yes. including the old sign on the door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Uh, we call them expert systems. So LNER are using six different expert systems for different departments, which are all great and all fine, but they don't talk to each other. So you can end up in a situation where one door lock will be on six systems. And on top of that, a lot of the team don't have access to them. So they just end up emailing, phoning, uh, sticking it on SharePoint. So you're in effect, you're creating multiple duplicates of the same issue. So you're speeding up the process of repairs. Yeah. yeah. How do you get all this information into one place? Then? Yeah, so it's a good question. So there's two ways. Uh, we can connect with other systems. Three of the systems you have, uh, we investigated, can we can connect to. We would feed that data from the other systems into our dashboard. And then the other simple way is it's just like a Dropbox or a Google Drive. You just drag and drop documents, images and video straight into the platform, into the building. So on our system, you can drill down to different buildings, stations, buildings, units and even individual rooms. Hi, my name is Ethan Al-Ali. I'm founder and CEO of Automedi a first-of-its-kind circular microeconomy that turns plastic trash into product in as little as 25 minutes. What sort of plastic trash, first of all? Literally any plastic. Yeah. Often the plastic that councils don't take, so things like yoghurt pots, tables, chairs, cutlery, crockery. We turn all of that stuff into a filament, which then gets 
recycled through a 3D print vending suite that we have as easily as ordering a chocolate bar. That means products can be made whenever and wherever they need. This is the sort of stuff that you, the waste stuff that you might find on the railways. Correct, absolutely right. Yes, certainly in terms of passenger waste, that's absolutely true. And not just that, a lot of passenger waste is actually imported in the sense that they all order it in a big station take on the train with them and dump it in their local station or vice versa and a lot of that often gets segregated differently in waste collection or it's very difficult to segregate so as a result they get burnt instead. Tell me about the process of converting it then. How does that Sure. Yeah so what we basically do is we grind down that waste we then mix it together almost like a recipe we then turn that into a filament that is appropriate for the end use case and then we run it through our 3D print vending machines just like you would do with normal 3D printing and that means that we can turn that waste process and keep that utility within the organisation uh, more generally. So what do you turn it into basically? What's the next use for it? So that plastic trash can be turned into almost any product you can make through um, plastic manufacturing. However, with 3D printing you can do things that you can't do through other processes, including putting joints in without needing assembly. And this is a great way to turn plastic waste into product locally which means that you don't have to rely on manufacturing and long distance supply chains to deliver your supplies for you anymore. So the rail can turn it into accessories like clips, clamps, coat hooks, lanyards as we're wearing today, shims and all that sort of stuff they would normally buy. So my name's Andreas Zachariah, aka Zach. I'm from a company called Travel AI. Uh, we're a group of transport nerds and engineers and we love to understand and reveal how people move around and use transport systems. The problem is that you have a very large piece of the economic and social engine, tens of billions of pounds large. There's very little understanding about how we all move around on an end-to-end basis because the reality of getting from A to B is almost always involves more than one type of mode of transport. And in a best-case scenario, you have very poor quality data trapped in silos. In a bad scenario, you just don't have data and everyone's kind of invisible. One journey from one person using four modes is like four people doing individual little legs that are unconnected. So all that information that you could get is really valuable if you can get it down to one person then, yeah? What we look at is we're trying to tell stories and those stories of our, our, how people move around and to tell the stories of how people move around so that the, the people who are providing the services, the transport services, the people who are responsible or have the opportunity to design uh, and budget infrastructure and policymakers can can build a system instead of us changing our behaviors to how someone makes it it can learn us so you can optimize and you create a much more sympathetic and joined up system you know whether it be timetabling whether it it be getting services to meet other services because that's where there is actually an appetite okay how does your solution work it's a bit of a smartphone software we have our myways app as kind of a vehicle to demonstrate it uh, what it's doing is using the, the GPS in your phone and the accelerometer. It's sampling this in the background so you don't have to do anything. It's battery optimized uh, so that you would, wouldn't mind or notice that this is going on. Because we believe in this principle of data for good, we're quite precise about how the data gets used, um, how it gets licensed. It's not to be monetized, it's to be used to optimize systems. In optimizing it, you can monetize what the, the, the advances. But what we don't want is what you kind of get with the big tech, where we turn into the product and all of our data is moving around in all sorts of places. Even the mobile networks today don't have our permission, but they're selling movement traces 
to everyone from you know the councils to the the train companies it's about getting the passenger or the user to be part of the solution and getting them to opt in uh, in a participatory and completely transparent way hello i'm i'm will i'm the founder of manhole metrics and we offer a sensor and analytics solution to help tackle flooding this was actually uh, as a result of a sewage flood. I had my basement uh, a little over two years ago. I was blown away by the scale of flooding across the UK, and not just the UK, but further afield as well. And it seemed to me like there was a gap in the market for really low-cost, long-life, and easy-to-install sensors and analytics. And fast-forward two years, that's exactly what we've built. How will these help the railway, do you think, then? There are three main problems around flooding that are facing uh, the railway. Firstly, flooding itself, uh, which is going to increase thanks to climate change, increasing urbanisation and ageing of existing infrastructure. So flooding itself will be able to give real-time alerts and in future predictions around floods so that they can respond more proactively instead of putting out fires. Additionally, the second point is around precautionary measures for flooding. So right now, because a huge amount of the network is at risk, something around 30% of embankments are at risk of flooding and 15% of the track is vulnerable to flooding. What they're doing is putting out a lot of precautionary speed restrictions and closures. So to be able to inform the key stakeholders who are making these operational decisions with the track side data um, will allow them to minimize the amount of disruption that's caused by uh, fear of flooding. And lastly, it's to do with the maintenance right now. There's an incredibly proactive maintenance regime built around risk and time-based cleaning and visual inspections, but that can be really expensive and hard to reach areas. So if we can provide some cheap monitors in these locations and allow them to do more risk-based inspections and cleaning, that will really help them save money. I'm Kailash Manohar Selvan. I'm founder and CEO of Spatial Cortex Technology Limited. So we are in the digital health and safety tech industry. We make wearable sensors and cutting-edge tech to protect staff in workplaces, preventing workplace injuries. You know, that is what our mission is. So we are currently focusing on reducing and preventing musculoskeletal disorders or MSDs. Back pain is a commonly known MSD. You'll be surprised to know that a third of all workplace injuries, not just in the UK and worldwide as well, it's because of MSDs. And one of the biggest issues is that as an industry and as a community, the awareness of where it is actually coming from and what leads to it, and the tools we have for understanding, risk assessing and mitigating it are pretty lightweight currently. So we bring in a check angle to it. We use wearable sensors that people wear that gives a lot of insights into the ergonomic pinch points where the risks are the highest. So the health and safety teams can use targeted uh, data-driven approach to reduce the risks. These sensors being in the clothing, inside the lining, that, if you like. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. At strategic points on your body. That's correct. Mm. So it tracks limb orientation, uh, upper body, lower body, and also the back. And we use a very clever AI-driven analytics that uses the sensor data and to extract important information like the amount of stress that goes through different joint groups and how that changes from people to people as well. You know, male versus female, somebody who's young to somebody who's old, different physical abilities, and we can bring all those insights in to quantify what the risk is. 
and where does the risk actually happen? We are currently working extensively in the rail industry. We have customers in the water industry as well. And coming to LNER's Future Labs program gives us a unique opportunity to validate the technology in a new use case, you know, on a customer-facing role. It hasn't been done before. And, um, and we have seen some very interesting data that come out of it. And we have had very interesting discussions with some stakeholders to see how this data can be used in a preventative approach and also how our technology can be used for a continual basis as well. So, yeah, that's kind of where we are. And the potential for applicability of our technology within LNER is quite huge. Not just for onboard crew and, and, and staff, it can be applied for drivers, station staff, train managers, and even staff in contact centers, where if they're having a tough day or a busy day, their posture and and their they, you know their posture can be pretty compromised, and that amplifies the risk exposure levels. So we're very excited about what what comes next over. I'm David Horn. I'm the managing director of LNER, and Future Labs the event today is all about hearing from the startup companies that we've had looking at situations that we face and challenges that we face in the rail industry and seeing if the ideas and concepts that these companies have are actually going to be ones that are going to help us to provide a better train service in the future. Now we've heard about all sorts of interesting innovations haven't we? The way that technology can help to change work on the railways is incredible isn't it? So interesting to see it kind of affect the safety critical areas isn't it? It is. The railway industry of course has always been one that's been looking to move technology and make the best use of technology of course over uh, the years the rail industries have relied upon uh, telephone technology then wi-fi and and you know what we're hearing today is some ideas as to how people are using apps on mobile phones for example how they're using wireless sensors how it, lots of different technologies that will help us to understand today things like the infrastructure things like how we as people are whether we've heard a presentation about fatigue and monitoring fatigue so lots of different ways that we can bring technology uh, into use in the rail industry to help us to provide a better service to our customers and technology controlled by people as well that's important isn't it it is. This is a very user-centred programme. What that means is we actually involve the users, in some cases with the train crew, the station staff, or indeed actually, of course, customers, to really make sure that this technology isn't just technology for technology's sake, it's technology that provides a benefit to the people working in our industry and to the people travelling on our trains. Well, Marianne Russon presented the event on stage. She is a career technology and science journalist. What did she think of the ideas? I thought the event was really fun. There are a lot of really interesting ideas being shared by the startups, some very compelling solutions. I thought it was nice that these are solutions that aren't just meant to you know, improve the customer experience, but also to address actual challenges faced by railway companies as a sector. I mean, I first I first went on trains in the 1980s when I was uh, was a child, and uh, that was a very very different time. Yes, now you've got informative display boards. You're told, you know, where whether the the toilet is 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 occupied or not. You get to, as I said, you get to stream services. I mean, I I am just like every other consumer. I don't particularly know what's going on on the train. I know that I like it if I can do it very quickly on my phone. I like it if I can do things last minute. 
minute and I very much like it if it can get me from A to B on time. I think that's one of the things that consumers want though. They want to not have to think about it. They want it to be invisible, but it all works. And so when it works seamlessly, everybody's happy. It's just that we don't tend to commend train companies for making it work. It's, it's just like a lot of technology. We, we wouldn't be able to live without our toilet or our washing machine, but we only ever think about them when they don't work. And that is unfortunately is transport, you know, trains are the backbone of, of the country. And that's what we've seen today, isn't it? Lots of things happening behind the scenes that make life easier that we don't notice. Precisely. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really quite interested in, in some of the solutions. I thought the one about detecting fatigue was really good. The idea about checking and monitoring how your workers pick up things, handle manual tasks and make sure they're not hurting themselves. I think these could be very interesting things that we could see in the future. My name's Mark Moby. Uh, I'm the Acting Chief Digital Innovation Officer within LNER. I'm looking after um, obviously digital innovation, which Future Labs is one of our amazing programmes uh, incubators, trying to really build innovation and push the boundaries in terms of what we're doing. I think this year's cohort has been superb. We've had six really interesting and very varied solutions uh, which have been put on uh, offer. And certainly when you start going into the detail of some of the problems which they're looking to solve, it, it's just amazing, really. And I think the winner, Automedi, who's come out that, um, creating that circular manufacturing and circular microeconomy uh, is absolutely brilliant. Um, that is such a game changer for where we are today, what we're trying to do for sustainability and also reducing carbon as well. So a really worthy winner for us, I believe. Yeah, this is where all our rubbish that we take with us on the train and we leave behind gets turned into useful things. Absolutely. So it gets um, recycled into into pellets, which can then be used within a 3D printing machine to make items. So it could be anything from a, a cup to a, a, a lanyard holder to even screws or clips on a train and things like that. But it's just creating that circular economy, which is so important for us in this day and age. It's a 12-week programme that, that they've gone through, developing their ideas, coming up with proof of concepts where, where required and actually trialling these things to understand, well, is it a workable solution or not? And today was the pitch day um, to, to finalise the programme where each of the, the suppliers have come in, done a, a pitch and a question and answer session, and from that, the audience has voted in terms of which has come out the best, and uh, I can happily say I did vote for Automedi as well, so <laughs> I'm in line with the audience, which is great. Will LNER take this on further? Yes, I believe we will. Um, I think, as I said, because it's such a big thing with regards to being a responsible business and our sustainability and what we're trying to do with uh, zero carbon um, and, and our, our aims and objectives on that. I think that's a perfect example of the kind of thing which we can do and we should most definitely be looking to push that forward in terms of starting small scale in one or two stations but then looking to build that up as we go through time. Well, Mark, thank you very much for talking to us. And with that, that brings this podcast to an end here. So thank you very much to everybody who listened today. Hope you found it interesting. So farewell for now from uh, York St John University.